welcome to the Silicon UK in Focus podcast. Silicon UK is the leading source of IT news, analysts, features, and interviews covering the technology that impacts your business. I'm your host, David Hull, the Editor-in-Chief here at Silicon UK. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sandra Moran, the CMO of Workforce Software. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much, David. Excited to be here with you today. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, as the the subject and uh, today, I think is is uh, quite an interesting one and fits beautifully with, with uh, what we're sort of covering this month actually on, on Silicon UK. Uh, we're talking about sort of work and tech and what that actually means. Um, I think the the insights that uh, that I think you could uh, you could bring to the table will be quite timely and interesting. Before we get to that, though, I'd like to ask you about I guess well a bit about your background, uh, what you were doing before sort of workforce software, how you came to maybe the tech industry. Uh, so yeah, who's Sandra? So thanks, David. And my entire career is a career in technology. So interestingly enough, starting in technology as a a programmer, I have a degree in uh, business analysis and research. So I was actually programming, working with clients to customize software solutions for them and very quickly moved more into the marketing and sales and product management style roles that technology and software companies are delivering every day. That led me to a series of positions of increasing responsibility with software and technology, ultimately moving into chief marketing officer roles. So I've actually had a great opportunity to work in supply chain and supply chain analytics in workforce technology, and really the convergence of the use of technology to solve business problems is what led me to workforce software at a time that I think is particularly interesting, a real inflection point for many companies that um, are going to redefine the future of work. And it's just a great time for us to be talking about how technology can enable that in companies today when they're dealing with so much change as it relates to how they manage their workforce. Well, absolutely. Um, that's that's an interesting background. Um, often I, I sort of talk to uh, talk to programmers, um, and they often stay where they are. They're programmers are programmers, you know, they're coders, and that's that's what they like to do. Um, I don't speak to many people that have moved away from that, but it's an interesting uh, foundation to build a career on, isn't it? Because you you see. I guess from the ground of literally how how applications are built and what what that means for you know for the end user and how you craft um, you know applications which are which are useful because uh, that's the that's ultimately the goal. Absolutely, and in marketing in particular, the art and science of marketing, the science of marketing is so based on technology, on systems integration, and making use of data. That the background that I have is a, you know, beginning in programming has served me better than I could have ever anticipated when I started my career journey. Yes, I think everyone sort of touches on that. Um, I mean, I've been writing about tech for, you know, for decades, uh, all the way back to learning basic um, back in the 80s. Um, so it's, it's an interesting journey uh, how that's sort of moved on. It's something I didn't really pursue, but uh, yeah, a lot of people have sort of moved back into that, and, and sort of uh, you know, coding has uh, has become uh, quite a uh, quite an interesting space to be in. A lot of people have aspirations to to move into that space, which is which is very gratifying uh, because we have a hopefully a uh, you know a pool of new talent coming along who are going to create some amazing applications. Absolutely. Now, uh, today's conversation actually uh, is going to touch um, really on lots of what you just mentioned. Um, we, we really want to sort of try and sort of, I guess, unpick 
I guess what work, what means today and how businesses, I guess, see their workforces and I guess more importantly, how they manage them. Although I'm a little bit tentative about using the word management in, in I think, the context which we are speaking about. Um, I think, I think a, a, maybe a better word is, is not management itself, but it's, it's how you support your workers and how you look at your workforce from various different angles. So I guess to kick us off, when you sort of stand back and you look at the, I guess, the marketplace, which uh, which your know, workforce software sort of speaks to, I think you've already hinted that you've seen huge change. The last couple of years are um, you know, transformative for businesses in a, in a lot of ways. But when you kind of talk to businesses today, they're, they're on the cusp of moving into the sort of post-pandemic period. When we look at workforces and we look at how how these these groups are of people can, can really be supported to excel. Do you see a shift there? If we had this conversation two years ago, would it be a very different conversation? It would be a completely different conversation, although the forces that were beginning to shape the workforce were in play before COVID. And what we think about is that COVID really exposed many of the weaknesses in the way that organizations were, to your point, supporting their workforce versus managing their workforce. And now that we've had COVID, what we would say is that we're not going to be able to put back in the bottle, so to speak. So as a result of COVID, companies are going to have to deal more urgently with some of the emerging trends that were already in place. So what were some of those? One of them is something that you just called out, and that is this growing expectation that employees have. This is a significantly more diverse, digitally native workforce. This is the first time in history we have five generations of individuals in the workforce. Obviously, the growing portion of uh, the workforce is this younger digitally native group that really doesn't understand why their work isn't as easy as their personal life, why companies aren't using technology in ways that they've become accustomed to use technology, Um, to just make it easier to get the work done that they're expected to do. So that set of forces, this digitally native younger workforce was already happening. It certainly has been accelerated by COVID because we see more individuals in the workforce um, that were displaced as a result of COVID, um, not returning to the workforce. So that acceleration of the proportion of workers that are younger has really been moved forward. That's interesting. So you felt, I won't say the workforce is fragmented, at least not in the not in the definition I'm thinking of. It's fragmented to the point where a generational expectation, not a generational gap, because again, I think that's a loaded, uh, a loaded phrase. Maybe a generational expectation has kind of emerged. And that's an interesting one for, for employers. How do you do that? How do you support that kind of generational difference and the mindsets that they bring to the table, which will be very, very different? It is. And I think if you look at what that means to an employer, many employers are struggling with how they even support something uh, like different populations of employees, meaning corporate employees versus frontline, you know, factory staff hourly workers. And today, this younger population really wants to have input all the way down to the employee level. 
So where many companies are like um, still struggling with just categories of workers, the next wave of this is down to a personalized value proposition, if you will, that is going to drive employers even deeper into um, needing to use technology and tools that give employees a voice and support them with tools that match the kind of consumer grade tools that they have in their personal life. Absolutely. There's that huge, huge idea that um, I've mentioned this before, that sort of work, it's something you do, not a place you go. And that's absolutely certainly true today. Uh, you know, if mass remote working is going to become the norm, then that's kind of going to be something you have to deal with. If you're a business leader, then that's that's the that's the reality, guys. Sorry, but they, there it is. Um, and it's up to you to support those people, no matter where they are. Uh, and that hybrid approach is is going to become you know, very, very commonplace. I think it's just interesting as well. They're absolutely, absolutely right. The the idea that the consumerization of, I guess, business tech um, is pretty much complete. I think. Um, I think the, the the idea of you know bringing your own devices to work is kind of archaic now, and it's it's just it's just a given that those those devices and that approach will be right across people's lives, not just their working lives. Um, I mean, do you think that's that's a positive for businesses that they that they can latch on, latch on to that that idea that I want this seamless transition between my working and my my private life, and that's an advantage for for businesses because then they you know they don't have to have you know those those walls between different kinds of tech and and having to manage all of that stuff um, you know, efficiently. Actually, the, the the changes we've seen are actually quite advantageous. I think they are advantageous, but I don't feel like in all industries and in all employee populations, organizations have been successful completing that shift. So I think we see that in in certain populations. I think we see that in certain industries, but I'll give you a, a real life example of some of the barriers to actually doing that. So, um, you know, workforce software itself works with many organizations, large global employers that are dealing with significant populations of employees that are shift or hourly based. Sometimes they're union based. And what we've seen pre and post COVID, and again, I think accelerated by COVID, but not caused by COVID, is is really an, an, a proliferation in the regulations. Um, in some cases, organizations are prohibited by union contracts. Um, Portugal just uh, announced a set of regulations around employers being able to contact employees outside of work, and oh, so really? the reality. Wow organization to actually use technology. So the technology is available, but it needs to be married with information about the employee, information about the restrictions for that employee in order for it to be practically rolled out by large employers to ensure that they're not in violation of any of those agreements. So we still have this digitally native expectation of younger employees we have the resistance to using some of these technologies by the older employees. And then we've got this set of regulations that govern it. So again, the technology exists, but we really have to think about how can we use data that we have about the employees in a way that enables them to meet 
that personal value proposition of how does the employee want to interact with me? And am I sure that I'm doing that in a way that um, maintains the integrity of the the regulatory compliance that a, lar- a large employer needs to? Really, from, from day one, from literally from onboarding all the way through to, to career development, that idea that the more information I have uh, about you as, a, as an employee, your aspirations, what you want to do within the company, uh, what you don't want to do within the company, you know, all, all of this kind of information is kind of gold dust, isn't it? Because ultimately, you're trying to create a, a happy and efficient workforce, but you have to kind of understand who they are. Now, I don't mean reducing every employee to a data set. Uh, you know, that's, that's not what we're talking about, even though ultimately that's maybe what it is. But it, it's the information, isn't it? It's the insight that you have that then gives you the tools which you can then use with you know, management applications to, to give you that end game. And the end game is a happy and efficient workforce, isn't it? But it has to start with it, with, with, with foresight, with, well, with oversight, I guess. I mean, that's the wrong word, not oversight, with a view of who they are. And that's data, isn't it? It absolutely is. And you hit it right on the, the the nail on the head when you said it starts at the beginning. In fact, a research that we have suggests that employees will select an employer, oftentimes based on the technology that they're going to be provided. So again, this is in that younger, uh, <laughs> digitally native. That's even on, on people's uh, you know, lists of, why would I work for you? Uh, well, tell me what tech you're going to provide me with. Uh, and uh, if I quite like that, I'll, I'll give you a chance. Um, that's that's a, that's an interesting development, that you know, the, the, the tech that you guys are using, uh, that will be a differentiator. Um, between you know who I'm actually going to apply for a job with. That's that's an interesting shift, isn't it? It is. And I think you're rightly pointing out that the relationship between the employee and the employer, it begins at that initial experience that I have when I'm applying for a job. It's about the technology that I'm going to be afforded so that I know that you're investing in my success. And it needs to really translate into something that we talk about, which is moments that matter in the Mm -hmm. lifetime experience that an employee has with a company. And today, that's primarily going to be through their frontline manager, who, again, as a result of the pandemic, we see um, a lot of turnover, even in that frontline manager. So when we're thinking about supporting employees in a completely different way, we want to be thinking about how can we also technology enable those interactions to occur so that the entire burden of creating a great employee experience doesn't just fall on the frontline manager. And we're going to have to rely on technology to help us do that, especially in these large-scale employers. So I'll give you an example um, that combines what I'd call personal value proposition with how can we use data to effectively manage um, an employee experience. So again, we work with primarily shift-based hourly workers, and there are 2.7 billion of these workers that comprise 80% 80 of the global workforce. Yet a lot of our conversations, David, are about hybrid workers and workers that were primarily office bound that are now trying to adjust to this hybrid workforce. 
The truth is 80% of the workforce, they didn't leave the workforce when, um, you know, when we office workers shifted to remote, they were still out in the field. They were still getting us our groceries, taking care of us in the hospital while we were adjusting to hybrid. But in the case of these workers, that personal value proposition really plays itself out and can be enabled by technology. So for example, if I've got an employee that has worked four consecutive shifts of overtime, for one employee, that might be the best news they've they've ever heard because they're saving for a house or for a single mother who is um, dealing with childcare issues, that fourth set of consecutive overtime could be the thing that actually pushes them over the edge to seek an alternative employer. So capturing that in the moment, is this the right thing for you? How, How are you feeling about your fourth shift of consecutive overtime? Gathering that feedback in the moment that it's happening to an employee and then enabling the manager to take action on that feedback. Those are things that we can do when we combine data about the employee with this in-the-moment technology that is right in the palm of their hand. They already have a cell phone. Let me ask you about this, and then to take action on that. I think that's the promise of work tech in solving this um, personal value proposition way that could change the outcome for the experiences that make up, you know, that full life cycle of time that an employee is with an employer. Keep up to date with the latest tech news and read in-depth features by subscribing to the Silicon UK newsletter. When you're speaking to your sort of customer base, are they looking at, I guess, that section of workers, and they, they, you know, they are they're a huge number, and and how those guys are, are kind of managed? Or are business saying, well, that kind of flexibility, which we kind of understand, and we can we can do that for them. Are they applying that to to other parts of their business? Like they're looking at the advantages there. So actually, can't we do that completely company wide? Um, many are thinking about how they're going to be able to do that because today that is not a reality for the mass, the vast majority of, um, especially large global employers. And, you know, it goes deeper than that. I mean, we know that there is, a, again, a labor shortage exacerbated by the global pandemic. It's really making companies rethink what is the value proposition that they're going to offer to employees beyond basic pay and benefit? And we're starting to see things like um, flexibility in scheduling emerging as, in some cases, more important than total pay. For a company to be able to do that, many do not have the capability to do that today. Um, you know, something as simple, I shouldn't say simple, it's not simple, as flexible scheduling isn't something that is built into the mindset systems or processes, especially of large global employers. So to create an attractive value proposition, organizations are having to look internally at whether or not they support that. So, Um, To attract employees who are desiring more flexibility in their life, um, it could 
actually take potentially more employees to fill the number of shifts that the company needs to meet their production, their um, customer support, their retail store operations, but their ability to break down work, offer those flexible shifts to employees, onboard more employees. Those are the kinds of realities from you know, some of the manual and more rigid older systems. They're going to have to digitize some of those processes in order to be able to support the kind of employee value proposition they're going to need to in the future. Again, that that's a that's an interesting perspective. Um, what, what what do you think of this um, th- this whole idea that um, a business seem to be or that they they seem to complain that they are hemorrhaging uh, their workforces? They are this this great resignation in inverted commas. Um, it does seem to be a trend in the UK. Uh, employers, you know, compl- every, every consistently, uh, you know, lament the, the fact that uh, people are just you know leaving their businesses, you know, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging people. And I'm wondering why that is. And I'm thinking it's really what we've outlined so far. It's that lack of flexibility. It's that lack of control over my my working life and my and my personal life. How I balance that. The tools I'm using. The list goes on. From your perspective, is that something that is a clear challenge for businesses. Are they hemorrhaging people because of that, or has that always been the case? You know, the uh, turnover is turnover. I mean, it's, it's it's inevitable, but has that been affected uh, by the by the pandemic, or more importantly, been affected by I guess a change in expectation and a change in mindset of the actual workforce itself? I think it is what I call, uh, and others call, the great contemplation. So I think COVID did um, exacerbate and forever change the view that employees have about their relationship to work. So um, when employees were furloughed, when um, we went into a hybrid work environment, I don't think we can ever go back to pre-COVID. And there's positives to that as well. But the great contemplation to me really is Um, representative of employees taking a minute to say to themselves, is this value proposition that I have with my work really worth it? Do I really feel like I'm being paid properly? Is my commitment to my job worth it in this work-life balance equation? And the great contemplation again, triggered by realities of impacts to work through COVID has led to the great resignation where individuals have said, you know what, this is not, (laughs) this is not worth it to me. And, you know, we see it in the customers that I talk about this being an absolute, absolute reality for them, where some employees simply said, do you know what, I don't want to do this kind of work anymore and have left the workforce permanently. We can see that in the numbers and the the Bureau of Labor statistics in the UK uh, government statistics that, you know, when we come out of this, if I look globally, World Economic Forum just reported that there'll be 13 million fewer people employed post pandemic, just as a result of they're just not going to do it anymore. And um, that I think the positive side of that is 
that we are, I think, going to come out of this with people being clearer about what is their relationship to work, what do they value, and now we need organizations to have an opportunity to offer a greater benefits package. And by benefits, I don't just mean pay and you know traditional benefits. I mean, is this bundle of what you're offering me going to give me what I want to be willing to come back into the workforce? Hybrid, you know, that approach is clearly an element there. I guess the, the, the decisions people make about work and if I'm going to leave and go to a go to the company or whatever, in your experience, is also about... I guess the physicality of work, you know, the tools I'm using is too hot. There's that uh, high-level stat I read uh, a few a few weeks ago. We all retreated to our offices and remote working. Um, the average employees are using you know, upwards of sort of 20 different applications every single day uh, just to get their work done. That's, that clearly can't go on. And that's kind of a level of fatigue. And you kind of then think it's not, it's not a surprise then that people walk away from these businesses because they're not prepared to look at that as a, as a uh, as an issue and, and deal with that um, let, let's look at how you actually do your do your work can we make that more efficient and can we streamline that if we can that then speaks back to your well-being and that's kind of reinforces you know loyalty etc with the business because you've, you've looked at my work you've looked at how it's an issue with for, for me and you've fixed it and there are tools that are available to do that and I, I do see that when I speak to business leaders they are looking to actively, you know, ratify that and reduce the number of applications and uh, whatever you have to do for, for you know, to, to actually do your work. Just an easier experience. And I think that's that's how you kind of switch off the great resignation, just by paying attention to, I guess, how work happens. Um, because we can't clearly carry on like that. You know, if I was using 20 applications a day, I'd go insane. <laughs> it's true. So I, and I think that number that you're quoting, uh, you know, the average being 20, again, is um, reflective of our view of supporting the desk or corporate worker primarily. Um, when we look at the deskless employee population, again, 80% of the total workforce, what we see is less than 1% of the total enterprise software spend being spent on those employees. So um, we have the same expectation. They'll, they'll just let us look after themselves, won't they? They'll be fine. Well, you've got um, you know more than seventy three percent of them that don't even have a corporate email address. Yeah, and what's that? I mean, that's you know just, they've got that pocket size computer <laughs> yeah. sitting in their hand. Yeah, so, you don't have an you know, email address. Yeah, I mean, it's, you don't have an email address. Yeah. Yes, it's archaic, isn't it? But you know, um, it, I, I think it's also it's it seems to me to be an attitudinal thing as well. It's that's how we did things. That's how we will do things. It it works. Let's, let's, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, that's clearly not an attitude which a business can use moving forward. Um, it does need fixing, and you have to fix it very very quickly. Correct. And in high turnover industries, I mean, retail has greater typically greater than a hundred percent turnover in some organizations that relationship between the work technology that's provided to the employee and the company's ability to make them successful becomes even more apparent. So reducing the number of tools that we need to train the employee on while still ensuring that the employee has the information they need to represent the brand properly, to communicate, um, not just be communicated to by corporate, 
but to actually facilitate communications that enable them to have access to the information they need to support the kind of brand experiences that companies want are going to require a large employer, well, any employer, to rethink what they are putting into the hands of their employees to help make them successful. And, you know, employees, they don't need to be trained today on how to use an app. They're used to digitally native apps. They're used to being able to communicate with each other. The question is, how quickly can companies provide that same level of experience to those employees in the context of work so that they can actually better enable those employees? It's basically an integration approach, isn't it? It's kind of looking at the landscape of your workforce. Yes, office-based workers or people that work remotely, they may be a, a group that are easier to, to maybe move forward with the kind of tools we, we're talking about. But it does seem to me if, if hybrid working, let's use the dreaded H word, is going to be the future, then for every business, that's going to be different things. Now, now two businesses are the same, even if you're in the same sector uh, or the same industry. So what does it mean for you? And have a good look at your workforce. And it may be that you have to literally you know, throw out your tech and start again because it's simply not working for you. Well, I would argue that some stuff is working and you just need to evolve that forward. You know, speaking to, to, to businesses like Workforce Software, just to understand kind of your journey. Where do you want to be and how do we get there? And the journey is going to need some tools and the tools that you choose, that's kind of where the focus I, I feel should be. Have a think about that. Have a think about the journey. Have a think about how you want to, to get to the end game. If you can have all of that in the equation, it seems to me that then you can build a platform of technology which is useful for everyone. And it's not just siloed for an office worker or a field engineer. It's that integration, I think, which is which is the future. Absolutely. I mean, thinking about a, um, a digital platform in which um, we're sharing and creating an environment for collaborating, it has to transcend groups of workers, because in fact, we do need groups of workers to work together. And if corporate employees are working on systems like Teams and Slack that are designed for a desk worker, but they're not able to interact with individuals that are in the field, one, we're creating this disparity of population. But I think more importantly, David, we're actually missing an opportunity that is also part of employees feeling heard and valued. And that is very often we find organizations have corporate employees that are providing uh, direction to people that are in the field. And if we can't close the loop on those communications, we're missing the opportunity for um, the corporation to tap into what those frontline people know about what are their greatest barriers to being successful. So we're, we're not just improving the ability for you to tell me what to do, but we're when we can connect those populations, they can share ideas that actually provide this continuous improvement opportunity that goes unmet when we don't connect those populations. Yes, it's a, it's it's literally a feedback loop, isn't it? Um, that you 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 need to do something, either individual or a team, um, and you need to tap into that knowledge. How how do you do it? How do you do that? If you can't connect all the dots, then you're not going to be able to achieve the end the end goal. 
Um, if your tool isn't allowing you to do that, then that tool has to change because how can you possibly do that? Because you cannot, you cannot work in isolation if you need the help of, say, a remote worker. And if you cannot contact that person, then, well, you, you're kind of on an island. Well, what are you going to do? Um, and I'm always amazed that that is still the case uh, with, uh, with a lot of business systems, that they are siloed um, and there is no connection between, between systems when there really ought to be. Yes. And, and, I, and, and the technology there, uh, it, it is there. Um, you know, companies have to choose to adopt technologies that do leverage um, these amazing supercomputers that are already in people's hands. So I think the technology is there. The barrier is the adoption of available technology to bring those employee populations together. And, you know, we know that when companies don't provide those tools to employees, they actually take it upon themselves to do that. So many employees take to open communication channels or tools like WhatsApp or Reddit or forums that they create for themselves that are outside the firewall of the company, outside of compliance that that's the right. company. Yeah, that's right. The security compliance officer has an absolute heart attack about that. But yes. what, what did you expect them to do? You know, if they can't do their <laughs> jobs, what did you expect? Um, so, of course, they're going to go to you know, consumer level uh, applications just to get their job done. Um, and I think that's a lack of understanding and certainly a lack of, uh, of sight of how people have adopted certain technologies to do their, to do their work. But more, it's, it's deeper than that. It's not understanding kind of business process uh, from end to end. Um, because if the end of that process does not end with um, you being able to, to to do your job or whatever it is, of course you're going to look elsewhere. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's an absolute given because you're, you know, you need to do your work. Um, so I think that kind of flexibility there um, clearly has to be built into you know, really the tech stack that we're talking about. Um, that may well be using some some consumer level stuff. And of course, then you're going to have to think about compliance. Of course, security has to be front of mind. But those are kind of in the mix, and that mix is, is kind of what we're talking about. That's moving forward, and that kind of mix is going to be different for you for your business. But you have to think about what those components are going to be. And if you do that correctly, I think you, you'll come out with a business which is, which is agile, it's dynamic, and it has a workforce you know, which, is, which is really working at its best because they have the tools. And again, I think the technology does exist today. The ability to leverage data that enables an organization both to facilitate this communication and feedback loop, as well as do that within the regulatory collective bargaining agreement constraints around which they need to operate. That technology exists today. We need organizations to adopt that technology and put it into place, knowing that they're going to need to change the way that they're doing things in order to evolve to support the kind of employee value proposition that they're looking for. Do you ever see um, pushback with with employer with employees in particular? Um, we, yeah, we want to do this. Uh, we have to have this data about you and what you do. Do you see pushback there, or actually, do are employers quite employees quite? Um, they're quite happy to go along for that journey. They understand 
we, we, you, know, you have to um, monitor is the wrong word. Um, you have to have a, a, a sight of what I'm doing, and that's data. Um, but do, do you ever see pushback there from uh, you know, from any particular workforce sectors or even any particular groups of, of workers? Yeah, I think there's that barrier to overcome with um, workers who worry about the privacy or the implications to them that the data may be used in the wrong way. And I see those barriers dropping with younger, you know, digitally native employees. I think the other way to reduce that barrier is to demonstrate that the data can be used for good. And where we're willing to embrace the promise of a, a more data-enabled view of employees, we can do great good. Think about evaluating data over time that might show us that fatigued employees are more likely than other employees to have you know, a safety situation, have an injury. We can also use data and information in a positive way. Again, in this sort of digitally enabled environment, we're using our technology to do things like when an employee is assigned to a task that they haven't performed for a certain time, we can pop up a micro training video in the moment to remind them of maybe some safety protocols that maybe have been implemented by the company since the last time they undertook, you know, that particular task. So where we can offer value to the employee, where we can demonstrate, I'll call it empathy at scale, meaning if I ask you a question and you give me feedback, I'll take action on it. I think we can continue over time to reduce the barriers that employees have about sharing their information. It's almost like you and your personal life. If you're willing to accept cookies and then uh, your web. Well, is, yes, is that, that's right. Yeah, again, there's an odd. I don't know. It's it's an odd thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we we give all this personal information away so we can shop and and access the sites that we want to 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 access. You know, literally thousands of data points about you and I. Um, but in a work context, that's a very different conversation. Uh, you know, very different. Um, you know, employee tracking or any kind of, of oversight uh, is, uh, well, you have to be very careful and there has to be a very, very good business case. And I'm sure businesses are looking at that. They're, they are framing those arguments, um, not for, I guess, the business itself, although they are the ultimate beneficiaries, but it, it's more about focusing on the, on the workforce and what, how that will benefit uh, you know, them. That's, that's, that's the conversation you, uh, you kind of have. Well, we're coming to sort of the end of uh, of uh, this uh, this podcast, Andrew. So, I I guess I wanted to, to to close with really your thoughts on I guess general digital transformation. We 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 talked a lot about how employees and the work they do and the tools they use in particular, uh, what that's going to look moving forward. Now, I think every business was on a, some kind of uh, journey uh, to, to to digital transformation before the pandemic. Clearly. Um, they're redrawing those uh, roadmaps uh, as we speak. Uh, I, I would, uh, I would uh, uh, absolutely guess that that's absolutely true. Um, but for you, when you when you think about digital transformation and you think about those journeys, uh, and then you drop in workforce, uh, I guess uh, management applications, the technology they're using. Um, for you, 
how how does that landscape now look? Is are, are you are you very positive that what what will come out of that is a stronger business with uh, a workforce which is uh, which is dynamic? Um, you know, do you feel that we're entering in a almost like a golden age uh, where we've developed the tools? Now we're implementing them, and when we implement them correctly, we have much better businesses. I do, and I I said at one point in the podcast, I think many of the things that just happened to us are positive. I can't think of any negative about really evaluating um, the relationship that employees have to their employers, employers' ability to offer a greater value to their employees for the work that they perform, um, its benefits to the employer in terms of um, this missed opportunity to involve all workers in the improvement of the business, um, I think they're all positives. You know, I look forward to the day that employers are able to offer greater fe- flexibility to the employee. I think it has a great promise even for the company as they think about how are they going to optimize their use of labor in the future when they have a digitally enabled um, set of technologies helping them deliver greater experience, greater productivity to um, to their employees, even if it means um, they have to change the way that they're thinking about when and where work can be performed. So I see all upside. I see so many of these technologies that we need coming together. And I see organizations willing to embrace and rethink some of their previous conceptions about exactly how things had to happen. we're, we're right at the beginning of a fabulous um, transformation, maybe pushed along a bit by COVID, um, but that would have eventually come to us. You've been listening to iSilicon UK In Focus podcast. Keep up to date with the latest tech news and read in-depth features by subscribing to our newsletter. I'd like to thank Sandra for taking the time to speak to Silicon UK. It's goodbye from me, David Hull, and it's goodbye from Sandra. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you today.